God, we know that you are already in this place, that you have welcomed us and empowered our worship. So God, we pray that your spirit would continue to move among us to open us up, to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds so that we might hear a word from you. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're wrapping up our work in progress series this morning. It's a series about character, about how the character of Christ can actually live in us and flow through us, producing good fruit in our relationships and in the world. So before we close up the series, let's remember where we've been, some of the big points so far. First, character matters to God. It's all throughout the scriptures. Character, who we are, matters to God. And that's not a surprise, but the challenge is that we live in a world that rewards achievement and accomplishment and at the same time marginalizes character, does not reward good character. The second thing is that character is not something you manufacture. Character is not something you can have by working harder or buckling down for longer or putting more pressure on yourself because character is not something you manufacture. Character is something that Christ produces through you. This is the image of the vine and the branches. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. He is the source of life. He is the source of character. And the only way for Christ's character to live in us and flow through us is to remain connected to him. The word Jesus uses over and over is abide. Abide in me, he says. Stay close to me. That's how Christ's character is produced through us. And the fruit looks like this. This is a list of 30 things from Romans chapter 12 that we talked about last week. It's not a to-do list. It's more like a multi-point check. A multi-point inspection for determining how clearly Christ's character is being produced through you. Are these things evident in your life? If they are, that's a sign that you're connected to Christ, that his character, his life is flowing through you. The purpose of the branches that are connected to the vine, our purpose is to bear good fruit. Jesus says he's chosen us so that we will bear good fruit. And this is the fruit, letting love be genuine, hating what is evil, holding fast to what is good, outdoing one another in showing honor, rejoicing in hope, being patient in suffering. All these things, these are the fruit of Christ's character. The third big point, each of us is a work in progress. Each of us is something like a renovation project. Each of us is being made new in Christ. In other words, God doesn't expect that you are perfect. God expects that you are becoming perfect. And in order for that to happen, God has to take out and scrape off some of the old stuff that's inside of us, our old attitudes, old prejudices, old ways of thinking and doing in order to make room for the new, to make room for the fruit of Christ's character. So when I was a kid, I'm talking early elementary school when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I would spend most of the summer at our neighbor's pool. They had this big in-ground pool with a slide and a diving board. They lived right behind us. They were our backyard neighbors. And their daughter was essentially my babysitter for the summer. And I remember being in the pool just about every day for some portion of that day. But there was this rule at the pool. Maybe you've heard this rule too. What happens when you 
you take a break for lunch? You have to wait how long before you can get back in the pool? Thir somebody said an hour. You had very strict rules. We had 30-minute rule. A 30-minute rule, you couldn't get back into the water after you ate for 30 minutes. Why? Because we believed, and it wasn't just me and my family and my neighbors. It was like everybody I knew. We believed that if you got back in the water inside of 30 minutes of eating, somehow the blood that was used for digestion was going to cramp up at such catastrophic levels that you would immediately pass out and sink to the bottom of the pool. And I believed this. And everybody I knew believed this. We believed that if you got back in the pool before the 30 minutes was up, something bad would happen. So I'd sit by the side of the pool waiting for that 30 minutes to be up. And over the course of those five summers, I, I probably spent 100 hours sitting on the side of the pool doing nothing because I had a belief system that if I were to get in before 30 minutes was up, woe is me. Now you see, what we believe absolutely and directly influences what we do. What we believe dictates, drives our behavior. I didn't swim for half an hour after eating because I believed something bad would happen if I did. But when I got older, it was kind of embarrassing because I met people who had never, ever heard of this 30-minute rule. Barbarians, I thought, who didn't wait after eating to get back in the pool. And what they told me was that they didn't actually shrivel up and die when they got in the pool after eating. And that changed my behavior because they changed my belief system. Somebody jumped in, and God bless that, that young man or that young woman who defied the rule and jumped in before the 30 minutes was over and discovered for all of us that it would be okay. Now, somebody jumped in and stripped away that falsehood and re replaced it with a simple truth. You take out a lie. You can't swim for 30 minutes after you eat or something really bad will happen. And you replace it with the truth. Yes, you can. And it changed my behavior. I eat while I swim now. I'm not scared because when you remove the lie and replace it with the truth, it changes your behavior. Now, here's why that's important. You and I, we live in a world that specializes in marketing and distributing misinformation everywhere you go. And I'm not just talking about the stuff you see on TV or read in the newspaper, uh, but it's advertisers, it's movies, it's music. All over, these things specialize in marketing to us things that aren't true. Because the truth is, you can be tough even if you don't drive a Ford truck. But if you watch a Ford truck commercial, you might think that you have to, be, have to drive a Ford in order to be tough. You can have friends even if you don't drink Pepsi. It's true, but it's also true that if it's true that, that what I believe directly correlates to what I do, then I need to think seriously and figure out what is true Otherwise, I'm going to be held hostage all throughout my life to certain belief systems that may or may not be true. And I'll sit on the edge of the pool wasting hours of my time because I believe something that isn't true. Now, there are some really big lies that hover over all of us. So, for instance, how many of you live under the umbrella of this lie? You woke up today just like you did yesterday, just like you do every day, and you absolutely believe that it is your job to fix somebody else your spouse, your child, your mom, whoever it is, you believe that it is your job to fix them. And because you believe that, you behave in certain ways. 
you make lists of all the things they do wrong, you make lists of all the things they could do better, you send them sermons and you send them websites and you send them videos to watch so that they see the things you think they need to see in order for them to be fixed. But you know what no one has ever told me? They've never come to me and said, Sean, here's the thing, you know, all those problems I've been having with that person, well, I fixed her. I fixed him. All the things that used to drive me crazy, I fixed them. That never happens. And yet, how many of us are trying every day to fix somebody else because we believe the lie that it's our job to fix them? What we believe dictates what we do. And there are lots of other lies that we believe. How many of you live underneath this lie? You have to be beautiful in order to be lovable. That's a lie. That's a lie. But, but do you know any young women in high school or college that live under this every single day? They believe that they have to be beautiful in order to be lovable. And by the way, it's beautiful in the way that Instagram and YouTube tell them it's beautiful. But that's a lie. And how many of you believe the lie that if you accomplish that something, that one thing, if you accomplish that thing, as soon as I accumulate enough, then finally... I'll have peace of mind. As soon as I get there, I, I remember a, a commercial from several years ago about retirement planning, and I forget the corporation, I forget the company that it was now, uh, but uh, the, the tagline was, what's your number? Thinking about retirement, right? You've got a number in mind. As soon as I have that much money in my retirement account, I can retire safely and comfortably. I will have peace of mind. And all you're doing is working toward that number because somehow... You believe the lie that if you make it to that number, then things will be okay. That will make you feel better. That will give you peace of mind. But it's kind of like running or walking on a treadmill. Even if you do get to that number, you find out that that number doesn't give you peace of mind. How many of you wake up every day and live under the umbrella of this lie? I can't change. I've tried, but I can't. This is just the way I am. I tried to change, but it didn't work. You believe that lie, and so you stop trying. You believe the lie. There's a belief in you that says, I can't change. And what you believe absolutely determines how you behave. What we believe drives what we do. So we need to spend some time identifying the lies that drive our doing and replace those lies with the truth. This is a strategy that Jesus models for us in Scripture. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew starts the story by uh, writing account, an account of Jesus' life, and he starts with the family tree, and he tells the story of Jesus being born and the wise men coming and his parents escaping to Egypt. But then he fast-forwards through all these years, skips them, and, and fast-forwards to when Jesus is an adult. And Jesus goes into the countryside where this man named John is baptizing people, and Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as soon as he comes up out of the water, God's voice comes from heaven and says, This is my son my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And the first thing that God has Jesus do is go out into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. This is kind of strange, but it also makes complete sense because you don't know if you have good character until it's been tested. You don't know if the smoke alarm in your kitchen works until something on the stovetop makes a little too much smoke. Jesus has character. God says we're going to test it and make sure we know what we're talking about. So Jesus gets sent by the Spirit into the wilderness, and this is what happens. It's Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. It's our scripture for the morning. It's printed in your bulletin. The words will be on the screen too. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
point is that God has sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. It's a crossroads for Jesus. Are you willing to do the right thing no matter what the cost? That's character. Verse 2, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. It's the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. 40 days and 40 nights, no food. Of course he was famished. So verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So this is the first of three temptations, the first test. And did you notice how it starts? If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, but it really has nothing to do with that. Jesus already knows that he's the Son of God. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not trying to figure that out. But what the devil, the tempter, is doing here is reminding Jesus of a lie that hovers over all of us. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The lie here is simple. You have the right. You have the right to do what you want to do. You have the right to do what you need to do in order to meet your needs, in order to satisfy your wants. That's the lie. You have the right to do what you want to do no matter what God says about it. We've got needs. And the lie that the world tells us is that we can do what we need to do no matter what God says about it. That's what's going on here. That's the lie underneath this temptation. The devil says, you're famished. You have an urgent need for food and you're the son of God. You have all the power in the world. Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. You have a right to meet your own needs no matter what God has said about it. So Jesus is at a crossroads. What should he do? His character is being tested. And listen to how Jesus responds, verse 4. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's, it is written. This means he's going back to the scriptures. He's going, digging deep into the scriptures to quote them, to replace a lie with the truth. The lie is that I should be able to do whatever I want. The truth is that what God wants is bigger and better than what I want. He rejects the lie and replaces it with the truth. So the devil tries again. This is the second temptation. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, the very highest point in Jerusalem. And there was a marketplace underneath, so there were people everywhere. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Do you see what the devil's doing? He's quoting scripture too, for it's written. It's from the book of Psalms. He, God, will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Go ahead, he says. Jump off the temple. You won't go splat on the stones because the angels will swoop in and scoop you up. There's a lie underneath this temptation too. The lie is you need to prove yourself. How many of you live under the umbrella of that lie? You need to prove yourself. If you're going to be a real woman, you need to whatever. If you're going to be a real man, you need to... I don't know, whatever. Teenagers are faced with this every single day. If you're going to fit in, you need to prove yourself with the clothes you wear, with the words you say, with the way you treat your parents. We live under the umbrella of this lie, and as long as we believe that lie, we're going to constantly try to prove ourselves. 
You're early in your career. You've got to prove yourself so that people know you can hang. You're late in your career. You've got to prove yourself so that people know you haven't lost your edge. You decide to stay home after you have kids. You need to prove yourself that, that you can still achieve and accomplish. You decide to go back to work after you have kids. You've got to prove that you're a good mom. You've got to prove yourself. Whatever it is, you've got to prove that you're good enough, that you're smart enough, that you're strong enough, that you're whatever enough. But when Jesus died on the cross... When Jesus died on the cross, you stopped having to prove yourself. You are good enough for God. If you don't have to prove yourself to God, why would you waste your time trying to prove yourself to people you don't even know? You do not have to prove yourself. Look what Jesus says. He quotes scripture again. Jesus said to him, verse 7, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to this. I don't have to prove myself, Jesus says, because it's more important to be obedient to God than to be recognized by others. It's more important, Jesus says, to be obedient to God than to be recognized by others. He takes out the lie, replaces it with the truth. The devil tries one more time. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Isn't this what Jesus came for in the first place? He came into the world so that all the kingdoms and all the people of the world would know who he is. Isn't this what he wants? The devil says, here's the deal. Look around. You can have all of this. I will give it to you. And I'll give you a shortcut. All you have to do is for one minute, just for one minute, fall down and worship me. Disconnect from your heavenly Father just for one minute. You can go back later, but fall down and worship me just for one minute and I'll make your dreams come true. Compromise your character just for a split second and I can help you do what you want to do. One more time, there's a lie underneath the temptation. The lie is if you can win, it's worth doing no matter what. If you can win, it's worth doing even if it compromises your character. That's the lie. And Jesus says to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It is written, again, Jesus digs deep into the pages of Scripture for the truth that defines his life. I'm not going to compromise my character, he says, not for one second, because nothing I can gain through compromise, no shortcut is worth a broken relationship with my heavenly Father. What we believe, what we believe dictates what we do. And the strategy that Jesus models for us is to replace a lie with the truth so that we can do and be who God created us to be. But it's all built on our willingness to invest in Scripture and our willingness to invest in, in and learn God's Word so that we can learn the truth of God. And this is hard. I, I know that it's hard, but this is why I say over and over again that I want you to read your Bible. Next Sunday, we're going to give Bibles to our third graders in this worship service, and I'm going to tell them that it's no good if they take it home and put it on their shelf. They may see it, people may see it and know that they're a Christian, but it's no good on a shelf. You have to read it. Because when you make reading the Bible a part of who you are and what you do, you'll find yourself ready. You find yourself ready when a lie presents itself to meet it with the truth. When you start to think that anger is the answer, I'm just going to get angry. It's time for me to get angry, put my foot down and yell at this person. You can say, nope, that's a lie. That's a lie because Ecclesiastes 7 tells me, don't be quick to anger because anger lodges in the bosom of fools. 
and your behavior changes. If you believe that, your behavior changes. You say, no, I'm not going to be angry. And when you start to worry, does anybody else worry like I worry? You start to worry about things you know you can't control. But you think, if I worry hard enough and long enough, if I worry and worry and worry, then somehow, magically, I'm going to achieve the desired outcome in this situation. You can remind yourself with Scripture that that's a lie. And you can look at Philippians 4 and read, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Instead of worrying about what you don't have and what you can't control, start with thanking God for what you do have and what's there in front of you. You'll find that your behavior starts to change. So whatever lies you're living under, whatever falsehoods are hovering over you, I want you to be able to replace them with the truth from God's Word. It's a strategy that Jesus used when his character was tested. He takes out a lie and puts in the truth. And then suddenly, the devil in this case is gone. That's verse 11. Then the devil left him and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. Wouldn't you love to conquer all the temptations of life? Wouldn't you love to do the right thing no matter what? Wouldn't you love to have your whole life driven not by the lies of the world, but by the truth of God? And friends, there's a way. There's a way to do that. There is a path toward that end, and his name is Jesus, and we meet him at this table. Every time we come, we meet him at this table, and he takes out the lie, and he tells us the truth. And what he says every time we meet him is, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Almighty God, help all of us and each of us to wrestle with your scripture to dig deeply into your holy word, even when we don't understand it, even when it's confusing, even though it takes time and it takes time that we think we don't have. And, and, and help us, God, help us to walk steadily on the road to character, abiding in Jesus so that we might bear good fruit, so that our relationships will begin to flourish because of you, so that through us, the world might know you more and so that we don't just get vaguely better, but truly become people who reflect the unconditional love of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. 